Hello, and welcome to the Restore Body Balance podcast, where we combine psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. I'm Colleen Burns, licensed psychotherapist and founder of Restore Body Balance. And I'm Nico Utanis, co-producer of this podcast, and I'm going to be asking Colleen some questions on today's topic. Today's topic is how food equals mood. There is a growing body of research that is helping us better understand the role that nutrition plays in mental health. When looking at the standard American diet, as we say SAD is the acronym, how does it hold up when thinking about not just physical health, but emotional health? Well, SAD it is, Nico, and the pun was intended. Three quarters of Americans today do not even eat a single piece of fruit, and nine out of 10 don't reach the minimum recommended intake of vegetables. Not to mention, sometimes it's really not our fault. Agriculture businesses focus on honing in productivity and shelf life, not necessarily preserving nutrients. Then there are the food makers that sell snacks that are full of artificial ingredients, sodium, added sugars, and hydrogenated oils. When I was at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, the founder, Joshua Rosenthal, actually took a loaf of sliced bread and he squished it down to the size of a baseball. I was astonished. He then often quipped that you can now buy groceries at Staples, the office supply store. So we are way out of whack when it comes to all aspects of the standard American diet. That's definitely true and a little sad, pun intended. In my opinion, I noticed that many office suppliers also deliver snacks, but many of these snacks or groceries are very unhealthy. That said, I think society wants to improve their nutritional health, and books like Supersize Me by Morgan Spurlock and Michael Pollan's industry-shifting documentaries enlighten us on our obesity epidemic, and thus we have made great strides. I even remember watching Supersize Me in high school as a required film. It's become a classic of sorts. I actually don't know many people who didn't have to watch it in school. So over the last decade, especially with Supersize Me, we can really see how we are what we eat. But what about this link between food and mood? That's a great starting point, Nico. Sure, there are numerous studies that note how food plays an important role, not only in depression, but also schizophrenia, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, and there is a growing body of research on its effects of Alzheimer's disease. And schools like here, Tufts University School of Nutrition Science and Policy, Harvard's School of Public Health, and of course, my alma mater of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, we are supplying our primary care doctors with health coaches like myself, all of which are helping us to understand this link between food and mood, but it goes much deeper than just our classic food pyramid. As a health coach and psychotherapist, is there truly risk or correlation to our mental health? Yes, and there are several studies and books, one written by Drew Ramsey, who is the Assistant Clinical Professor of Psychiatry at Columbia University. His findings are, and I quote, there is now an understanding that depression in particular is a whole body disorder. 
and the true pioneer of this movement is Professor Felice Jacka, a leading authority in nutritional psychiatry, who's authored several studies and books from different countries and cultures. And she deduced that there was about a 30% reduction in the risk for depression when we engage in a healthy diet. And in fact, not only prevent, but treat depression. Professor Jacka is the director of the Food and Mood Center and the founder and president of the International Society of Nutritional Psychiatry and Research. She is also the founder and president of the International Society for Nutritional Psychiatry and the immediate president for the Australian Alliance for the Prevention of Mental Health Disorders. She's been responsible for the development of a highly innovative field of research, establishing that diet nutrition is very important to common mental health disorders. And her research focuses closely on the links between diet, gut and mental health, and brain health. This work is being carried out with basically the ultimate goal of developing new evidence-based prevention and treatment strategies for mental health disorders. And following her personal journey, like many of my clients, is what really led me back again to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition to get my health coaching certificate in the microbiome and that connection between mental health and our gut. Because we need to be looking at the holistic picture, which is why my practice says restore body balance, combining psychology, biology, and neurology. Exactly. I definitely think the phrase healthy diet gets thrown around a lot, even in unhealthy situations. Almost like trying to find the original Ray's Pizza in New York City where all locations say they're the original. <laughs> I could even go to a popular restaurant and order a cheesecake and it could have the sticker on the menu for a healthy diet. So with that said, can you elaborate on the correct definition of a healthy diet? There are a great deal of diets out there from keto to Whole30. How do we know what diet is truly the healthiest? Well, the general consensus points to the so-called Mediterranean and Japanese style diets, rich in vegetables, salads, fruits, and legumes, such as chickpeas, lentils, and tofu, whole grains, raw nuts, fish, and lean meats, also poultry, and then of course, our healthy fats like olive oil. And while eating whole foods with lots of different colors and as they say, follow the seasons is a broadly recognized way to follow a healthy diet. The important thing to remember is that no one diet works for everyone. Nutrition is personal, which is why I pursued more knowledge and it really did pay off. That's really informative. Thank you for elaborating on that. And when you said nutrition is personal, it made me think of Tom Brady's diet. An article from Business Insider quoted his chef, Alan Campbell, saying, quote, Tom doesn't eat nightshades because they're not anti-inflammatory. So no potatoes, tomatoes, peppers, or eggplants. Tomatoes trickle in every now and then, but just maybe once a month. I'm very cautious about tomatoes. They cause inflammation. Is there any truth to this? Well, you know, Nico, you're definitely onto something here, especially when we look to celebrities taking nutrition to a personal level. The consensus is still mixed about nightshades, although the National University of Natural Medicine's anti-inflammatory diet includes nightshades in the foods to avoid. 
Nightshades are rich in nutrients for those who don't have sensitive stomachs or any underlying inflammatory issues. And a lot of this is being studied through the Cleveland Clinic and the National Institute of Health and also my favorite, Dr. Andrew Weil, who actually has a book and it is called The Anti-Inflammatory Diet. So yeah, yeah, that's one thing to keep in mind, but I really encourage people to go to their own medical resources and professionals to seek out what really would be the best diet for them, whether it includes nightshades or not. Thank you, Colleen. I guess I can continue eating tomatoes and peppers. <laughs> in your book, Prescription for Change, Using Your Lifestyle as Medicine, you have a quote in your Food Equals Mood chapter that states, Quote, the doctor of the future will no longer treat the human frame with drugs, but rather will cure and prevent with nutrition by Thomas Edison. How did you come to believe this? Well, I will give you another quote and it states, one man's food is another man's poison, right? I'm sure you heard that before. So in other words, food can be medicine to heal us or toxins that could kill us. So like Tom Brady and his nightshades, he's doing what's best for his particular diet and nutritional needs. Our nutrients that we consume literally make us, right? So how you eat is how you feel. If you are eating healthy, happy foods, then you feel good inside. If you're eating artificial junk food, then on the inside, you can't really trust your body to react and function the way it's supposed to. Again, you're living your life in the way that is representational of yourself. And to tap into my psychology hat, the unknown of anything is petrifying. So anything new, even a food, might not initially taste good. As I say in my book, I'm talking to you, quinoa, we see how we like to stay in our comfort zones. And that's true when it comes to nutrition. Believe it or not, our ego is trying to protect us. We are driven by our compensatory strategies. And if they come in the form of chocolate cake, then the brain will seek that out. But if your food is balanced, then you are balanced. Interesting. I definitely agree about quinoa being averse to it at first. Can you say more about balance and how personalized do we need to get? Yes, the human body has about 50 trillion cells and they work optimally when nourished. We know that from many medical journals and scientific studies that food changes us at a cellular level. So changing the way you eat is in line with the holistic model of my practice. When you eat in line with your body's needs, inflammation reduces, genes change, and diseases can be reversed. Great things can happen to your body. When you physically feel better, you feel better emotionally. One of my program strategies is lifestyle change and lifestyle medicine. So we look to really enhance your overall wellness. So according to a lot of these studies that you're mentioning, virtually a lot of our if not all, that would be my personal anecdote, modern diseases are linked to inflammation in the body. And inflammation is linked to nutrition, not to mention the gut microbiome. I see quite a few folks with gastrointestinal and G what we call GI issues, both upper GI and lower GI issues. And guess what? 
It's nearly impossible to feel great when you have this type of physical discomfort. From needing to find a bathroom to stomach cramps, some folks can't work or have to leave work, and it's very hard to have a healthy, intimate relationship. But when you have a 15-minute appointment with your doctor, this often doesn't get brought up, and it's not necessarily explored, which is why a great many medical professionals are adding folks like me, health coaches, to their practice. It can truly determine if somebody is anxious from a mental health standpoint or an underlying condition. So for example, are they isolating because they're feeling depressed or are they just afraid to go to the movie for fear of needing to leave suddenly? That's very true. And if you want to learn more about the programs, you can visit us on the web at www.restorebodybalance.com. Speaking of the gut, I have heard a lot of research from the Microbiome Project that our microbiomes are as unique as our fingerprints and that even identical twins respond differently to the same food. Yes, and this complicates decades of weight loss plans and all of the sage advice we've received. So for example, our gut determines who needs fewer calories, who will develop diseases, and now that we're studying the effects of the standard American diet, we can also start to look at it from a mental health standpoint. So Nico, did you know that nearly 95% of serotonin is actually contained in the gut? I didn't. Here, we have specialized cells and they're influenced by what we eat. It is an entire network of chemicals and microbes signaling the brain about our emotional state. Our gut is now referred to as our second brain. So eating properly and nourishing the gut are vital for mental health. Certain nutrient deficiencies can actually exacerbate anxiety or mimic symptoms of depression, not to mention stress. Scientists have also discovered that stress can dry the intestinal walls and bog down the villa, which are there to absorb minerals. They're like little sweepers that keep things moving along the intestinal tracts. So when they're bogged down, these toxins can get into the tract and then our lymph that lines the intestinal tract and it's the biggest circulatory system in the body, by the way, we cannot absorb these minerals. So as we said in our podcast on stress and the immune system, 80% of our immune system also lies in the gut. So we need to be nourished and balanced to function optimally. Right. Just like the hype surrounding the probiotics that we discussed a few episodes ago. We also mentioned that research has supported the use of probiotics for good gut bacteria, as it also supports your health and vitality. Or take eating too much sugar. As we know, carbohydrates all break down to sugar. So it's not just the sweets we typically think about in the form of candy and soda. I bet those bugs have a field day overpopulating and eating all of that good bacteria. Yes, they do, Nico. And when our lymph gets congested, you feel tired and lethargic. Your skin tends to break out. You could develop rashes and allergies. You hold on to water 
and your joints ache. So let's think about that from a mental health standpoint. You're not about to go work out or feel great about a presentation when you're not physically feeling well. So we need to get those drains working and nature can fix the lymphatic system. So for example, I tell my clients when at the grocery store, look at beets, tomatoes and peppers, if tolerated, nightshades, um, raspberries, strawberries, cranberries, cherries, basically anything red. These alkaline foods help to flush the lymphatic system out. And again, we see an opportunity for dietary interventions. And then adding our fermented foods, like we talked about, is a wonderful way of nourishing the gut. Yeah, as we mentioned a while back, the importance of fermented foods, like my favorite kombucha, or eating kimchi, kefir, and low sugar yogurt. I know your website, www.restorebodybalance.com store, has some ideas on how to pickle your own food. I bet it feels good to help people get back in charge of their physical and mental well-being. Do you find your clients can truly change their mood with food? Yes, Nico, and not only do I see people every day changing their mood by changing their food, but let's think about it. If you're eating food that is dead, full of chemicals, salt, sugar, and additives, it has no life energy. So when you go to the market, you often see, let's say, asparagus, and they hopefully have it in a little bit of water. And when I get home, I transfer it to a little bit of water because it's still alive, right? So when we fuel ourselves with living food, great things happen to our body. Try just adding some greens to your diets. If this is new for you, then you might want to try a food prep service that delivers the ingredients to your door. I know for a lot of folks graduating college, I'll donate them a HelloFresh or Blue Apron uh, gift certificate and they can actually start cooking on their own. A few months back, I wrote a blog reviewing the top rated and also the time tested services. And there were clear winners from quality of the ingredients to ease of preparation. So just trying this one time can be a game changer. It relieves grocery store runs and the stress of meal planning. There are also many such services popping up, even your local CSA, which is a community supported agriculture. So when I work one-on-one -on -one with clients, we will sometimes go to the grocery store together or I gift them one of these meals on wheels, so to speak, and the guesswork is taken out. So no runs to a specialty market or complicated recipes to follow. Again, for someone who doesn't cook or like to cook, this task that normally would be stressful, that also contributes to our mood, becomes quite simple. And then we also get in touch with that amazing process of nourishment. When we are in touch with that, it changes the way you treat yourself. And of course, that directly correlates with mindfulness eating, as we will discuss next. But taking time to truly appreciate your meal, especially one that you've taken the time to make, then taste it, respect it, and enjoy it. Can you say more about that? I know there is now a magazine called Mindful Kitchen, and the last issue featured the spiritual journey of the Michelin star chef, Eric Repair. They spoke about nourishing your body and mind. 
Uh, yes, Nico, I actually have that uh, magazine at home. It was the Zen Guide to Cooking from Your Heart. I loved it. And in my practice, we, what I say, reduce it to the ridiculous. So the less energy or stress, the less you're adding to that, what we call fatigue bucket at the end of the day, right? Sometimes you just don't have it. And so when we're stressed, we either have the energy to actually make the meal or the bandwidth sometimes to consume it. So remember the brain likes a quick fix. When you are hungry, you know, we're seeking something full of fat and sugar. Remember dopamine, right? That's what we're looking for or when people are now using the word hangry, right? So we wanna look for something healthier, but we don't wanna restrict, right? So this lifestyle that I'm hopefully getting across is not a diet. Diets make us feel beaten up and that hurts psychologically. And then when we go off the diet, we feel like we've failed. And guess what? All diets get old by Wednesday. And when we fail, we don't blame the diet, we blame ourselves. We see other people succeed and we feel ashamed and not capable. Then we feel shy and fearful. And that affects everything from our social life to our career. But by simply bringing the right foods into your life, you have your appetite under control. You have more energy and everything just feels easier from biking to hiking. Let's go back to the brain. As mentioned before, I think the documentary Supersize Me really broke ground in areas never discussed before. Do you think food today is designed to be addictive? Yes, I do, Nico. I really do. And sugar, for example, triggers the opiate site in the brain and it increases dopamine. Almost like a runner's high, sugar hijacks the system. Dopamine, remember, is a pleasure chemical, a reward chemical. I think back to my days as an addiction counselor. You know, we could give somebody Suboxone or Methadone to block opiates when addicted, but what about chocolate? What if we slowly started to substitute strawberries and apples? Again, hard to compete with something that gives us that really hard hit of dopamine. So we need to look at, are we triggering the opiate site? This is the same for cheese. It contains casomorphines and the casein breaks down in the blood and gives us just a little bit of that feel good feeling on the receptor site. And I won't go off on a tangent, but that's basically why you see animals nursing their young. They naturally want to go for that because it not only gives the sense of satiety with hunger, but it feels good. So let's look at that phrase I say in my book, okay, that how is it linked to mood? Well, when we are depressed or anxious, we're not steaming green beans. And if you are, I'm sure researchers want to scan your brain because emotional pain registers in the brain. And that is what we call the interior cingulate gyrus of the brain. It feels emotional pain the same way we feel physical pain. And opiates relieve emotional pain too. Sugar activates the opiate receptors in the brain and affects the reward center, which leads to compulsive behavior. Despite the negative consequences like weight gain, 
headaches, hormonal imbalances. I can't tell you how many clients I say, they go to the refrigerator and they try to talk themselves, I don't really wanna be eating this, I don't wanna be eating this, and then they're eating it, but they don't wanna be eating it, and then afterwards they have that emotional hangover. So. It's really important to look at where, you know, sort of our vices are. And getting back to sugar, this is the thing. Sugar is hidden in more places than you can imagine. Like we talked about in our podcast with the gut and the immune system, some yogurts have more sugar than a can of soda. Most have two times as much as a donut. Just look at your jar of tomato sauce. There can be more sugar in that than a serving of cookies. So even for now, all I'm asking is just to read the labels and make wise decisions. That's so important. And serving sizes can also be kind of misleading. So also pay attention to those. I know specifically lemonade. When I drink a glass of lemonade, I'll look at the serving size and it's eight ounces or a half a cup sometime. When you look at the serving size and you're drinking four times that amount, it's definitely misleading. So. Speaking of sugar, can we go back to the microbiome? I hear sugar is changing our microbiome. Our consumption has increased from 10 pounds a year to 152 pounds a year since the 1800s. That's alarming. It is alarming, Nico. And this, along with toxins, less exercise, and generally a poor diet, has led to what you hear about with leaky gut, inflammation, food sensitivities, and increased use of acid blockers and even Advil. It's really not about calorie restriction. When you restrict calories, your failure mechanism kicks in and it's defending you against starvation. So sure, you initially lose fat and muscle, by the way, but you gain it all back. And when you gain it back, you gain it back as fat. So now, guess what? you need less calories. You also slow your metabolism and you have increased hunger. But that really stinks if you're trying to lose weight. See, it's not your fault. We're failing as a culture and our treatment models as well. And this is again where I say, let's use your lifestyle as medicine, but this time in the form of nutrition. We balance your system and your microbiome. Believe it or not, Nico, it drives your behavior. What do you mean your gut drives your behavior? Well, there is a working hypothesis, and I'll say, quote, obesity is driven by dietary composition, not calories, end quote. So really, this is very new research. It's what we call your bioavailability of fuel that determines your hunger, and your food intake. So it's not about restrictions or that you're lazy. Simply, it's just not about calories in, calories out anymore. Eat less, exercise more these days. We can't just do that. It's about, can we lower your anabolic drives? Because if we could do that, you will automatically lose weight, right? When you're satiated and you're mentally balanced, you're not craving. So you will increase your energy expenditure and that automatically decreases your voluntary food intake. You have more control over what you eat than how much. Really, food is the new drug. So let's look at why it's the new drug. 
It can improve the expression of tens of thousands of genes, balance dozens of hormones, optimize tens of thousands of protein networks, and it's faster and cheaper than any drug. And guess what? It's available to you right now. Food has instructions to tell the body what to do. Every bite matters. You can change your gene expression with every bite and you can change your microbiome. Wow, food affects your body in many ways. I know I always feel better when I eat healthy. Beyond the microbiome, how else does the food we eat impact us? Food also affects enzymes, mitochondria, your gut flora, and cell communication, not to mention detoxification. The Journal of American Medical Association, most of us know by JAMA, actually has multiple studies on how our diet affects sinus congestion, irritable bowel syndrome, eczema, knee and joint pain, depression, insomnia, anxiety, reflux, acne, basically the I feel like crap syndrome. <laughs> That's how I heard it said once. But again, we can use your lifestyle as medicine. You know, here it's important to note that when I work with folks, I say to them, your cravings are your symptoms. What are you truly hungry for? So in the Restore Body Balance program, we examine the complete mental, physical, emotional, and even spiritual areas of how you get satisfaction in your life. And we face our fears and add self-fulfillment and then ultimately self-healing of the body. And it all goes back to the parasympathetic nervous system. We seem to reference the parasympathetic nervous system in every podcast. Can you say more about its application to this episode? Yeah, we need to feed ourselves love and support. Too often we feel this learned helplessness and hopelessness, and that's a true clinical term. So what does your body need to heal? What is your body saying no to? So we can actually write this prescription for ourselves. It's basically your beliefs, it's your intentions, it's hope. And hope triggers the relaxation response. Then the nervous system can activate the body's natural healing mechanisms. Therefore, we also must eat in the relaxation response. It's estimated that 75 to 90% of doctor's visits are due to ailments or conditions related to stress. So, for example, going back to GI issues, a lot of folks have had the diagnosis of IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, and that goes hand in hand with anxiety and depression. So it is vitally important to sit and enjoy our meals so that, don't forget, we can either stress or digest. We can let food nourish and heal us. And when adding mindfulness to our meals, we have the trifecta. So remember, in the parasympathetic nervous system, it's rest and restore, rest and relax, rest and reproduce, and rest and digest. So 
just take a few deep breaths before starting a meal. And that parasympathetic nervous system that's supposed to kick in after eating will begin. When we eat on the go or when we're stressed, the sympathetic nervous system is turned on. And these two nervous systems are like the gas and the brakes in the vehicle. When I studied gut health uh, at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, they used the phrase I'll never forget, digestion is like driving a car. And the two nervous systems are the gas and the brakes. You have to take your foot off of one to step on the other. So remember what we learned in earlier podcasts. Several things happen in that fight or flight response, right? So the hypothalamus in the brain tells the pituitary gland to turn on several hormones like adrenal glands and cortisol. Your heart races and so does blood flow to the brain and muscles. It triggers the release of norepinephrine, the hormone that works with epinephrine by increasing blood pressure and tells the adrenal gland and tells the adrenal glands to make more adrenaline to prepare for danger. The smooth muscles in the body contract, including the intestines. So hello, stomach cramps. Blood is diverted from the organs to the muscles in the brain. Mental sharpness and quick responses are priority one. And the production of stomach acid decreases in digestive enzymes stop flowing. So basically, all the things necessary for digestion are not happening. And we also see blood sugar rise to provide the body with fuel, and the liver breaks down sugar instead of sending it to the gallbladder. So breathing and your heart rate speed up, and that cortisol, oh darn cortisol, that is released has been attributed to increased visceral body fat. And that is the fat that basically is around your organs. It's there to protect your organs. That also leads back to inflammation. And inflammation leads to vascular disease, heart disease, and even increased allergy symptoms and our allergy intolerances and allergy flare-ups. And that prolonged inflammation releases more cortisol, which increases appetite. Oh, and by the way, Nico, you actually haven't burned the calories by running from the tiger or escaping the danger in fight or flight. So guess what? You've now increased your belly fat. Oh, but your body doesn't know this. So you increase cortisol because you think you are hungry. So then that goes back to stress eating for some of us. But just one more reason that we want to get into that relaxation response. And we've talked about eliciting that relaxation response that Dr. Herbert Benson discovered. So again, Shout out, many thanks to the Benson Henry Institute for Mind-Body Medicine at the Mass General Hospital for my education and certification that I can now share with all of you. Exactly. And this can all start with the simple act of mindful chewing. So try to take the time to simply enjoy your food. I hear a great deal about the need to actually chew our food. I know most of us in our fast-paced world chew fast. I know I do. 
And even my dog does. We have to get him one of those slow chew bowls. <laughs> That's so funny because Lucille, my loving lab, also has a uh, slow feed bowl uh, because she gets that GERD reflux because she just sort of like woofs everything down. Um, but you're right. When we chew our food, there's actually a chemical reaction that happens in the mouth. So for example, the enzyme that's called human salivary alpha amylase is released from our oral cavity. It's those little things inside of your cheeks. So when we chew, it sort of helps to break down the food. Then the food can release its vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and phytonutrients. Not to mention, this enzyme also binds to certain bacteria in your mouth, removing their buildup and helping to decrease your chances of plaque and tooth decay, believe it or not. So, chew more, eat less, and thus receive more nutrition and potentially fewer trips to the dentist. Lastly, recognize when you are being fed emotionally or physically or even both. I ask you to always look, what are you hungry for? So when my clients go to the refrigerator, I'll say, what are you craving? Are you substituting food for love? Are you having sugar crashes like we talked about? Are you tired and bloated, lethargic, or happy and satiated? We need to examine nutrition and hydration and how they play a key role in mood and lifestyle. Remember, we are restoring both physical and mental health, stabilizing your mood and reducing stress. Eating properly can be healing on many levels. Just like we use alcohol or drugs, we can use food. Think back to when you were young. You know, look at little people now, right? Everybody that's running around parks, you know, they would rather play than come inside and eat dinner. So we all need a playground of sorts. And, you know, even our workspaces are getting the idea with, you know, raised desks and looking at their cafeteria for healthier food choices and looking at spaces that foster socialization and physical group activities. Maybe we could address this further in a future episode, how corporations, workplaces, and schools are adapting healthier habits at the advice of professionals and new medical research. Maybe we could have some guests on it and call it Clinicians in the Kitchen. <laughs> That's a great idea. Actually, that is part of my corporate wellness program on my website, restorebodybalance.com slash corporate, where I actually do go into companies and I look at the statistics, like how a reduction in sugar cravings and using a nutrition plan actually improves productivity and mood. You know, think about having like a heavy lunch and then kind of wanting to go back to the office and work. We look at weight loss and basically obesity prevention, which helps basically their bottom line, um, diabetes, blood pressure, and cholesterol education and management, which lowers sick days and not to mention stress management and relaxation techniques. And we also eventually get to smoking cessation groups and what I like to call a lunch and learn series where we do stress management seminars and wellness days. But for now, I'm your clinician in the kitchen, Nico, and we want to nourish ourselves properly so we can restore our body's balance. Just remember, if there's one takeaway, at any given moment, 
Your body can choose from fat or glucose or both. We don't really use protein. We break that down into amino acids and amino acids get converted back to glucose for fuel. So to repeat, when living in that fight or flight response, your body's perception is that your life is in danger and it needs to fuel you to get out of that danger. So your body makes the fast burning fuel available and that's glucose. This is the same if we've not eaten for a while, i.e. hangry, you know, your body thinks it's in danger, right? So glycogen in the liver and our muscles get released and glycogen gets converted into glucose and our blood sugar goes up to power us to quote unquote, get out of danger. Or so we think, but we really never get into that fat burning mode because we're using glucose. And linking this back to mindfulness and meditation, several studies have shown that those practicing Tai Chi for eight to 10 weeks actually lost weight as compared to folks training for a marathon. Some runners actually ended up gaining weight. Yes, you're exactly right, Nico. Um, they, they did many studies where people go out to like the canyon ranches of the world and different, you know, retreats as opposed to people that were, you know, doing more of a physicality type of break. And you're right, the more athletic people sometimes gained weight because again, you want to be in that meditation mindfulness of the parasympathetic nervous system like we just talked about. Uh, so yeah, food is connected to mood on an emotional level as well. So let's just take, for example, this is a classic. We're doing okay for breakfast and lunch, but then we get to that 3 p.m. dip and crave sugar. So we might have a snack, I'll heaven forbid a piece of cake if it was somebody's birthday, a candy bar or anything. And then guess what we say? Oh, crap, I've ruined it. Well, guess what? You haven't ruined anything. But by the time dinner rolls around, you get that what the heck effect and you end up going for the dessert. So psychologically, you go to bed feeling like, oh, I blew it. And you are incredibly uncomfortable. And then we start coming up with ways to make it better, trying to get back into control. So we say to ourselves, okay, so I'm not gonna eat breakfast tomorrow or I'm gonna work out harder tomorrow. But we need to get out of this emotional pain that we put ourselves through. And it really starts with kind of cognitively shifting. And then we see a cascade of changes that can really make or break this. And when we start repatterning our brains and our identity, especially only happens in that meditation or mindfulness state, right? And you can start doing that before bed, in the AM by setting an intention, and right before we eat. It's really not about willpower. That's where we get beaten up because our ancient systems have our best interest at heart. They're, they're really trying to govern our preferences. We are all learning that diet is essential. As they say, food equals mood. Good nutrition can help you feel like you have control over how you feel. It's power. Healthy people are some of the happiest people. These days, you need to be not just a consumer, but an advocate. 
Yeah, Nico, advocate is a great word. You know, if you just change one thing in your diet, maybe it's adding more water, adding a vegetable or some fruit, again, it puts us back in the driver's seat. You know, we really want to look at adding more here and not necessarily taking out. It's sort of like a psychological way of getting ourselves back into control. So one goal could be, again, just try to eat more greens, right? Another thing I learned at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition is, you know, plants need sun to be alive. I don't know if you've ever had a plant on your windowsill. It naturally starts to gravitate towards the sunlight, right? And sometimes you need to turn it a couple of times to keep riding it, to keep it up straight. We have to remember that, you know, we become alive when we consume them. And again, it's all about balance. If we looked at just restricting carbohydrates, all the rage these days, you know, our brain starts to freak out. And again, it sends out cortisol. And thus we just create this vicious cycle again. So we need to balance out our hormonal responses. Food is a powerful drug. So be vegan or paleo, but be in balance. And this is why I often say to people, it's really important to journal. And that's why there's a journal on the back of my book. You want to wake up and write your goal. And at night, you want to reflect on it and write how you felt. And if you build on this every day, AM, PM, AM, PM, you will change biologically and thus emotionally. Food changes everything. So I will leave you with one last quote. And this is an ancient Ayurvedic proverb. When diet is wrong, medicine is of no use. When diet is correct, medicine is of no need. Well, thank you, Colleen. I think you really demonstrated how food impacts our mood. And as you just mentioned, the importance of journaling and as you say in your YouTube video and the book, Prescription for Change, bookending your day. If you guys have any questions or want to hear more from us, you can visit us on the web at www.restorebodybalance.com. We're also on YouTube at Restore Body Balance. And if you want to hear more podcast episodes, be sure to subscribe.